The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. We'll give God glory. He is worthy. When we were singing, bless the Lord, that little phrase, whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, the fact that we will continue to still bless his name is, uh, is not the power that comes from within us on our own strength, but is the power by his spirit. Amen, somebody? Let us read the word of the Lord out of James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Read the word of God out of James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. What causes quarrels and what causes fighting fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Everybody say wrongly. To spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, I mean, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Everybody say. When we think about our particular text and what it means in relation to uh, where we are as a people as a church, and particularly where we are as a people at Downtown Church, it is important to understand that there is no relationship that will be without tension. It is important to understand that there is no relationship that would be without tension. If you've ever been in a friendship, if you've ever been in a relationship, if you are in a marriage or you have children or you have siblings, you have all experienced tension and confrontation. 
But what James helps us to understand and gives us the wisdom to understand is that our very word and deed ought to be glorifying and honoring to God as people of God and the church of God. That is important because sometimes our deeds don't meet our words and our words don't meet our deeds. So we don't say what we mean and we don't mean what we say. And that's hard because we are the people of God that is supposed to proclaim not just his word in, in terms of how we say it, but in how we love our neighbors. In how we love our neighbors. In how we love the person next to us and care for those who are around us. The intentional aspect of that in which James helps us, it means that we have to humble ourselves. We have to be quick to forgive. And we have to always pursue wholeness. I think that this word this morning gets to the point of our big idea. And that is Christ satisfies us. He satisfies our deepest desires so that we will corporately draw near to God. Oftentimes, we focus on how we draw near to God individually. But God isn't calling you individual, individually, individualistically. He's calling a people. So the mindfulness challenges us because it causes us to ask the question, how do we renounce our self-centered desires to draw near to God? How do we denounce or, or renounce the very things that cause us to think about me every single day, to think about what I come in, and come in here and what I'm supposed to get, how I am supposed to benefit from whatever happens through relationships, how relationships are not supposed to be confrontational and they're supposed to be relationships that only benefit what I do. Somebody is always supposed to understand my perspective. James challenges us that, challenges us with that, because the idea is we're not satisfied for in our deepest desires by being by being right in relationships, by being the individuals who are free from blame in relationships. But what he says and how we can renounce this self-centeredness is, one, we must have a growing and grounded prayer life. A growing and grounded prayer life. Two, we must have a posture. Uh, we, we, we must posture our hearts towards God. We must posture our hearts towards God. And then three, we must be quick to repent and to lament. We must be quick to repent and to lament. Now, the first point here is very much regarding how we develop a growing and grounded prayer life. Many of you say, Mike, I, I, you know, I pray when I can. I do what I can. But James says it's important to notice that when you do what you just can, you have to wrestle with the raging war inside of you. We all got to admit that there's a war that is raging for our souls. And when we do admit it, sometimes we fall asleep and pray to our own passions, even when those passions are good. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? 
Is it not this that your passions are, um, is it not this that your passions are at war um, within you? Literally raging war within you. This was a phrase that was used to condemn people who were ruled by their passions, to describe a culture that was ruled simply by the desire of pleasure and the desire of self-fulfillment, self-aggrandizement, which actually meant that they lived in a culture that was hedonistic. The word in Greek for pleasure or passion mean it is the very word that we get for um, hedonism in our English diction. But so we have to all admit, no matter what gender, no matter what age, no matter what stage, no matter what race, sexuality, class, or creed, we're all tempted to fulfill the very passions of our hearts. We're driven by our ambition. We're driven by our passions. We're driven by our success. We're driven by everything that makes us feel and look good. But much of James's hyperbole is used in verse 2 and 3 to help us to see that you desire and you do not have. And what does James say? So you murder. And then he says, you covered and cannot contain, obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have and you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly and you spend it on your passions. Now, if you were to think about what he is actually saying here and you reflect the fact of how one asks, you have to go to when Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. When you ask, what happens? It will be given to you. When you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be answered. This is what Jesus says in the Gospels. And so James uses the same structure to say, but you don't ask according to what you need. The Lord's Prayer helps us to understand that when you ask for your daily bread instead of your monthly bread, instead of your yearly bread, instead of three to four or five years worth of needs, what the gospel then says is that when you ask for your daily bread, you're more close to Jesus because you're dependent on him for the day-to-day -day needs of your life. Your passions then don't rule you. They don't be the very things that cause you to outburst and to quarrel and to fight with others because you don't have. You may say to yourself, well, Mike, I don't fight with other people because I'm pretty satisfied with my life. But what about when you envy others? This is why James uses the hyperbole of you don't have so you murder. So what do you begin to do? You begin to castrate other people according to what they have and what you don't have. And we allow ourselves and our passions to be a very reflection of our heart. In fact, it's an outward manifest manifestation of our hearts, of our selfishness, which strips people of their dignity, of our desire of pleasure, will cause people to seek unethical relationships. Meaning that when you were looking, toward, looking at someone, not just business unethical relationships, you come in places like churches and you pray on men and women. You come into other places and you only look for a relationship 
relationship that will fulfill you. You only get in certain business relationships because of your greed. And then you allow your greed to quench your generosity. You allow your jealousy to allow division to come amongst us. Envy to blind us to the goodness of every individual that is sitting in this room that is around you. Even those passions that we believe that are good, God says they can be used for evil. God says your good passions, what you think is good for you, and what you, in the direction in which you want to go can be used to divide the body of Christ. And this is a question that we have to wrestle with a lot of times. What passions are raging in us? What's causing us not to be introspective, to realize what's going on in me to cause me to respond to other individuals in a negative way? Our passions can rule us. And what James is saying to the church is that we don't need to be praying that God answers and fulfill every purpose and passion of our lives because we'll squander it on ourselves. You spend it. This is what the text says. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your what? Passions. I want you to think about every time you've prayed to God, how many times you've prayed, God, help me to be a servant to my neighbor. Help me to use every resource that I get, Lord, not to live in abundance, but to live in sacrifice. That is hard for us, beloved. It is hard because every single thing in our culture tells us we need more. Everything in our culture tells us, tells us that we need to continue to satisfy what is going on and the longing in our hearts. But the deepest longing cannot be satisfied but no, but by no amount of fulfillment in your bank account, in your passions, in your desire, in your relationship, in your marriage, in your children. I want you to think about how much of your passions are the very thing that drive the success of your children. You get frustrated when they don't get certain grades. You get frustrated when they act certain ways because of what you're because of what you want for them. Not what you're thinking that's well what's needed for them. It's because you believe you know what's best for them. Sometimes that's good, but think about what it brings out of you. I want you to think about this community. Think about what, how your passions and what drives you a lot of times. Is it the very thing to develop healthy, selfless relationships and goals so that we don't be a body that's divided and pointing fingers and quarreling, causing conflict? Are we a body of believers that are always trying to humble ourselves before God, seeking forgiveness, repenting before others, and making sure that we're pursuing wholeness within our community and not brokenness? Again, this helps us because, and what helps us because to understand how to pray a growing and grounded life is if you pray the Lord's Prayer daily. Pray prayer parts, pray parts of the Lord's Prayer. 
But the idea is to make sure that when you are reorienting your heart and reorienting your mind, you're laying it before God and you're not allowing yourself to be itching at every passion that drives you in life. And so then you don't realize how you feel in isolation. You don't realize how you begin to hate others. You don't realize how you begin to envy because your heart is not sensitive to God through prayer. I know this is this, this not an amen. This is not going to blow your wig back. <laughs> For some of us, my hairline has receded a long time ago in Jesus' name. But, but the idea of our passage this morning is to know that a community that is rooted in this hatred, a community that is rooted in envy and unforgiveness, when it begins to take root, what it does is it allows the devil to come in and destroy and devour the people of God. One thing we know for sure that's a promise that the devil will not have victory over God's kingdom but he surely can div cause division and dissension amongst the people of God. There are so many of my friends who've walked away from the church because of the church. Just two weeks ago, y'all know, I, 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 in my position now, I work for our denomination, and I was able to take some of our leaders here and some of our other leaders um, in the city down to a summit in Florida. And I had the privilege of preaching at that, at that summit. And, and I, as I was preaching, or as I was preparing for my sermon, I was going to Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And typically when I'm in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, I'm thinking about the idea in which Sabbath rest is there. But God began to do some work in my mind and my heart because I was like, wait a minute. The Lord has been dealing with tension and division and dissension amongst the people. In fact, he just said in previous verses, woe to certain people groups. So then, but then he says, take my yoke upon you. Take my burden for it's easy and light. And he's talking about rest from the very people of God who are saying they're people of God. Religious leaders who cause so much division and so much tension and so much hatred and so much division. It's not, I was telling them, it's not the people on the street. I'm not dealing, we're not dealing with the prostitute that's coming in here starting division and dissension. We're not dealing with the drug dealers. We're not dealing with the gang members. We're not dealing with the boardroom that's coming in here starting the division, causing us to want rest from one another. It's caused because of us. So then when we get to the reality where James is talking about this idea that there is church hurt from fights and quarrels, it happens because, beloved, we're not grounded and we're not growing in our prayer lives so much so that we're thinking about one another. We're trying to think to fulfill whatever satisfies our souls. We're thinking about how God can answer the next prayer to pay off some debt. We're thinking about how God can answer the next prayer in order to, to make, make us more well-respected well and well-known in our careers. We're thinking about our only thinking about our families, only thinking about the, the immediate thing that applies to self and not thinking about the community as a whole in order for us to grow and be strong together. God wants us to grow and be strong together. Our jobs are to perpetually be transformed in our hearts 
as the people of God for the glory of God. So what does it look like for a grounded prayer life? It means God begins to soften your heart for reasons you cannot explain. God begins to soften your heart for reasons you cannot explain. Um, let me share something because this is, this is you know, it's, it's always in me. Y'all just heard Artez pray for me, and I didn't know he was going to pray for me this morning. And the reason it, it touched my heart is because, yes, this week is the week of uh, the 11-year anniversary of my mother's death. And uh, she passed away. It was a traumatic situation. And so every week and every time this season comes, I have to relive that. Uh, but it was in 2018 where I was in a bad spot around this time, and I just couldn't get out of the fog. Uh, Serena would tell you, I, I just felt the weight of spiritual warfare upon me. And the, the, it was one day where I was in the house and I was cleaning our room. I was by myself, um, and I'm vacuuming. And I'm gonna tell y'all, Sir Gregory. A lot, a lot of people tell y'all how, how I pray now when I, when I, when I'm, when I'm on a whole different level. My mind, when I need to hold on to His unchanging hand. And I'm saying this with all seriousness. I'm sharing this in, with with a level of transparency. I found myself listening to just the gospel music and playing it over and over. And God began to speak to my heart. And the things that were that were tearing me apart. I just can't, it were, there were so many different things that were tearing me apart, I can't name all of them. But what was happening is God was taking a moment to heal me, soften my heart. Because it, it, my heart began to get hardened. My heart, my heart began to begin, become mean. My temperament began to change. And what God began to do was he took that moment to use the words from the songs, to use the scripture to wash over me, words of encouragement, words of sanctification, to, to, to renew me and let me know that I know you're hurting. And that hurt will never go away. Because you'll be reminded by every milestone. We're about to have a baby next month. I'm reminded every time we have a child how their grandmother is not there. Reminded by every event that happens in school where it's grandparents' time, how they're not there. And what I'm trying to tell you is, my heart can be hardened to everybody else who has that. But God begins to soften my heart in the most dark and deep moment because he reminds me that I am your deepest fulfillment. I will satisfy your heart. I know you don't have the very woman that you love and care for who raised you in your life and your children may not have that grandmother figure, but I, can I tell you that you have a church that is supposed to be that family. God reminds me of that through prayer. And I'm telling you because when I'm abiding in Christ, when we're abiding in God together, what happens is God begins to produce fruit in the family of God. We become way more sensitive instead of insensitive. We become way more empathetic instead of not trying to reason and see the other person's perspective. 
God softens our hearts because then we don't fall prey to the schemes of the devil so easily. Our minds and our hearts are on guard because we're armed by the arm of God and we're quick to respond with reconciliation and forgiveness. Both are powerful gifts of God, reconciliation and forgiveness, to help do what, church? To build us up. God wants to build up the church, not just your individual personal prayer life. He wants to build a growing and grounded church so that we will continue to glorify him through everything. So how do we have a preventative approach in protecting and caring for our church? I'll give you this in community groups, beloved. If you are in a community group, I want you to take this week three people or families that you can pray for all week. And if you want to stretch it, that you can just pray for for the rest of the month. And if you're not in the community group and you're just joining us for the first time, I want you to find a couple people over the next two Sundays or somebody at work or somebody in your community that you can pray for over the next month. Pray for them by name. Lay them before God. Another preventive approach is to actually look at the website. Pray for the elders. Pray for the deacons. Pray for the people that are on staff. And then people that are on staff, people that are church leaders. I want you to get to know people that are in your shepherding care in order to pray for people around you. Pray for the people that you get to know on a Sunday morning. What I am saying is a church that's desperate in praying for one another will be a church that's diligently trying to draw near to God in a corporate sense. Being growing, always growing and grounded in prayer. So we then try to ask God rightly how we can pray for one another. And we can spin our prayers appropriately and not just on our passions. The next point is this, is that if we're going to be a church that consistently tries to draw near to God corporately, what happens is we ought to have, to have, we ought to have postures in our hearts that bow before God. Our hearts have a natural posture, and that natural posture is not to bow before God. In fact, it's to puff itself up. It's to be stubborn, hostile, and prideful towards God. Our self-righteousness tries to reassure our hearts that we're not deceitful, but it's Jeremiah 17, 9, where the Bible says the heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, desperately wicked. And therefore, the world that James is describing here, when you look at verses 4 through six, what does he say? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Immediately, many of us would think to ourselves, that means that we cannot be, we can't be involved in secular things. No, that's why you probably need to show up to the faith and work deal to help you understand how to live out your faith and work. But no, there's no divide between secular and sacred. But here's what, here's, here's the reality. The reality for us that is, a, that is a church that's posturing its heart towards God is to understand that whatever structures that influence our lives and we remove God over the throne of our hearts, we become the individuals that are allowing social structures, political capital, social gain, and desire, desire of influence to be the very thing that rule us and not God. This is why the adulterous people analogy works for us because oftentimes when we turn from God and turn to worship other things, we're committing adultery. As often as we hate to cheat on other things, we don't realize how often, how often we're prone to cheat on God. 
And so the imagery here is to understand that as downtown church, our hearts and our minds need to oftentimes be aware of the fact that we are prone to walk away from the Lord, we're prone to, re to resist God, and we're prone to resist his church. And the question is, have we fallen asleep and fallen in love with our passions more than God and his church? Has friendship with the world in terms of those very things that we care for more are the things that are luring us by the lust of our hearts? Chapter 1, verse 27 gives us the perfect understanding of how it uh, gives us the perfect understanding of how the Christian community, uh, how this is connected to the Christian community. Because it says religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unsustained from the world in their afflictions. I don't want you to, to focus on the fact that it says or, orphans and widows. I want you to think about people that you are sitting with in their afflictions. That's hard. It is hard to sit with people who are hurting. It's hard to have patience with people who are hurting and feeling pain. And a lot of times it's because we can't empathize like we'd like to. And therefore, we, we, we don't prioritize what it means to be present in those moments. And so we oftentimes can not involve ourselves in the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses of others, but we can be judgmental towards others. And this is what, this is what James is getting for. Therefore, look at, look at the next part. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose, the scripture says, he yearns jealously, 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 jealously over the spirit that, has, that he has made to dwell in us. But, verse 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, God opposes who? The proud and gives grace to the humble. It's important to understand that God gives us grace so that we may be keenly aware of his promise and his power. The battle for your soul happens when you're competing, when the competing promises and values are running and taking the narrative of fulfillment and wholeness as the byproduct of one's lifestyle. When we prioritize self over others, we lack the mindfulness of others. The way we combat this is not to be self-absorbed in our disposition, but it's to be devoted daily laying ourselves before God, asking him to transform and change our hearts. Daily, because our heart, we can't trust our hearts. And here's the last point. We must be quick to repent and lament. The next part of this text where he says, submit yourselves in verse 7, therefore, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Mourn, weep, be wretched. This idea in which when you purify yourself, you are feeling all of those things in a sense of lament. The purification is the idea that when you are resisting the devil, or you are, yes, when you're resisting the devil, you cannot resist God. When you submit to God, you resist the devil. 
When we do it corporately, we draw near to God. This is what the text is trying to tell us because as we draw near to God corporately, oftentimes when you think about dragging people when you're walking too far ahead of them and walking alongside of people, the imagery oftentimes is you have some resentment because of the pace that you're walking in life. You want to walk faster. We want to go faster. We want to do things differently. We want to move differently. The point of being a church that's diverse is to understand that we all have to find the same pace to walk. Because we're all coming from different walks of life. And some of us are more equipped than others. And some of us have more patience and grace than others. But the idea in which we humble ourselves is the idea that the same grace we experience is the same grace that we can extend. But it happens first when we repent. How do you repent? You hide the word of God in your heart so that you may not sin against him. When you don't sin against God, it keeps you from sinning against his church, beloved. The devil is fighting to win your soul. And the reason he's fighting to win your soul, because he wants you to resist God. And he wants God to flee from you. But the trick is, no one can pluck us from the hand of God. Not the devil, not yourself, or nobody else. So sometimes we think, even for those who've walked away from the Lord, that we've tricked God and walked away from him. But he has his own way of chastising his people because he loves them and cares for them deeply. But when we practice the quick repentance and lament, what happens is when he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, be wretched, mourn, and weep. It is the Old Testament practice in which one cleanses their hands and their hearts. But the imagery here is that you just don't cleanse your hands and your heart physically. But you actually have to cleanse yourself by the way that you act through your word and deed. They meet one another in the way that you repent. You can't be double-minded when God, when you begin to repent to God. This is what James deals with in chapter 1. When you're a double-minded individual, you're tossed to and fro by what? Every wind of doctrine. So somebody can say anything to you to cause you to walk away from the Lord. Because you're more susceptible to that as opposed to repenting of your own selfish passions that are going on inside of you in order for you to begin to stay connected, grounded, growing, a posture toward God that is humble and experiencing God through his grace by repentance and lamenting. The connection then, then you're corporately drawing near to God. I hope I didn't make you fall asleep this entire time. But, beloved, what I want you to understand is the text helps us as a church. This can be applicable to where you are in your work. It can be applicable to where you are with the roommates you have. It can be applicable to where you are in various different components of life. If you humble yourself, the text lets you know you will be able to have relationships that are thriving and not just surviving. But humbling yourself means you have to recognize that you are a part of the problem. Everybody else is not the problem. It's what's going on in here. This is why when he uses the language, when Sir Gregory was preaching last week of the tongue and the teacher, he was using a language saying that, that, that the body itself and its members are the very thing that's raging war towards individual, towards each other and causing us to rip ourselves apart. 
So when we go back to verse 1 of chapter 4, are we going to rip ourselves apart as a body? Are we going to tear ourselves up inside out? Are we going to recognize that we're in deep need of the satisfaction of our Savior who calls us to draw near to him more and more? And we don't have to hide. So, beloved, my question is, how are we going to draw near to God? Are we going to draw near to God understanding that what he did on the cross for us was to break his body so that we may be whole? What he did on the cross for us, beloved, was to die so that we may experience forgiveness through the power of his blood. Beloved, what he did on the cross was he humbled himself and did not exalt himself in order for us to be exalted. The scripture says those who exalt themselves will be humble, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humiliation is hard. It is difficult. It is not pretty. But it's the reason we commune with God to get our strength, to reorient our hearts, to be closer to him, to draw near to him. The imagery of you all walking down here in just a moment is the picture that I want you to keep in your mind of us all coming to Christ every single time, not individually, but together. Will you do that this morning? Will you do that this week? Father, we thank you so much because your word is sharper than anything, than a double-edged sword. It keeps us close to you. It helps us to know you. It pulls things out of us. And it makes us more like you. I pray that your word does that now. And I pray, God, that we grow from this moment as a church and that we will see that you will help us to flourish, to thrive and not just survive, to understand that we are victorious and not defeated. And that as long as we draw near to you with a grounded and growing prayer life, a posture that is humble toward you and a life that is always repenting and lamenting, we will know you in a saving way, collectively. For we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people say together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. He is our purifier. He is our God. And as we leave this place, let us grow in community and not away from community. Amen, somebody? Amen. Receive the benediction. May the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. All God's people say together, amen. amen. Go in peace.